Today, uh, again, I'm just thrilled to be with you and, and so enjoy the opportunities that you provide for me to come and, and just share worship with you and to share the gospel with you and, and to just love on you a little bit like uh, Jesus has provided for us. And, and today I want to talk about uh, something that's found in uh, 1 Peter. And uh, there are three things that I want us to uh, focus our attention on. And one, the three things are the precious things that he mentions. Now, there are three things that he's mentioned. The word precious is mentioned, I think, five times in the book of First Peter. But there are three things that he says are precious. And as we think about the idea of precious, the first thing I want us to focus on, I just want us to think for a moment, a moment, what is precious to us? You know, that, uh, that list could be as varied as, as there are people in this room. What is precious to us? Uh, we're approaching a time of Thanksgiving when our families are definitely in the forefront of our minds. You know, there's nothing better than to sit around a table with, with family and see them thriving and doing well and, and all those things. But unfortunately, that's not the picture for a lot of us, is it? that as we sit around our tables, maybe our family is absent. Maybe they're not thriving. Maybe they are struggling. But the bottom line is exactly what Tim shared with us this morning, that the foundation of all life, of all joy, of all goodness, of all prosperity, of all holiness, of all righteousness, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the writer of 1 Peter, who was Peter, the apostle, he wrote to people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And those were the elect, and I wrote down some, uh, some definitions here so that we um, know what we're talking about. Elect is one who is set apart, one who is chosen, and uh, one who is specially uh, assigned for a task. Those are elect. And in the scripture context, the elect are those who belong to Jesus Christ because they are set apart, they are chosen for a, um, a great gift that God is bestowing upon them in this life and ultimately in eternal life. Now, according to the foreknowledge of God, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, those are $5 words that sometimes we have an idea about what uh, they mean. I looked them up in uh, uh, the Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, and sanctify says, set God above or apart to motivate holiness or godliness. That's sanctification. That's sanctify. Foreknowledge is knowing something beforehand. I always thought that my parents knew stuff they weren't supposed to, especially when I had done something I wasn't supposed to. And when I came home, they told me where I'd been, what I had done, <laughs> and all the circumstances. And I wonder, how do you know that? Well, come to find out, my dad did reveal his secret uh, in his latter years of life, when he knew he didn't have much time left, he says, Gary, I was you when I was your age. <laughs> so he knew all that. And, and God knows all about us. Now, he certainly has never been us. But he has been through what we've been through. You know, 
I can't imagine, I can't even get uh, wrapped up in my mind what a fully human and fully God means or what that's like. Um, I've been fully human, but I'm sure not sure about I've been fully God, and I never will be because that is a one-time gift for all of humanity. But one of the things that, that God chooses as precious that Peter um, reveals to us in this passage of Scripture is the precious blood of Christ. It says, you were not redeemed by, by corruptible things such as silver and gold. Now, silver and gold are, are precious metals, aren't they? Uh, I don't know if it's because they are precious because there's a limited supply, because it is designated as precious, or that it is given a uh, certain characteristic that makes it precious. In this case, all three apply in the blood of Jesus Christ. So as when God says that you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, now that's just information, a statement that I make that you fully agree with and fully understand. But do you understand the depth of that statement, the precious blood of Christ? You know, to, to begin to understand that, we have to go back to the book of Exodus. And we go back to a time when 400 years of slavery was coming to an end. It's when, when God had sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. That they needed to go out into the wilderness and to worship. And there, the plagues had already the plagues had already been completed except for one final plague. And the, the instruction that God gave to Moses that, that was obeyed by all of the people was that you are to choose a lamb on a certain day of the month. And then on another certain day of the month, you're to kill that lamb and you're to roast it with fire. And you're to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And you're to eat it with your sandals on and your coats tucked into your belts. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to us, but when you got ready to travel and you got ready to move fast, you had to get that coat up out of the way because they, they went to the ground. It's hard to run. Have you ever seen these, uh, these jeans that, that some of the kids wear that, that well, they, they hang right about there? Uh, I have a friend in law enforcement up in Milford, and, and he said that uh, they were chasing a young man one day and uh, his pants fell down around his ankle, so it was a short chase. You know, um, but they were to eat this with their coats tucked up uh, into their belts. But the precious blood is, is that Peter is talking about is a symbol of what happened in Exodus. Because they were to take this lamb and they were to kill it and they were to put some of that blood on the doorpost and the lintel of all of their houses. And they were supposed to remain inside the house because the death angel was passing over. Now, the picture that we get here is that we all are assigned to death. And the death angel is coming for all of us. But the precious blood of Jesus is like the precious blood that was put on the doorposts and the lentils of the Israelite children as the death angel came and passed over. That same concept 
is the picture of the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost and the lintel of our hearts. Now, you all know that, don't you? I mean, that's nothing new to you. But what is the history behind that? What, is, what was the feeling of the Israelite nation as they experienced this decree and, and, and had no idea what was going to happen? If you had been a slave for 400 years, for five or six generations you had known nothing but slavery. I wonder what was going through your mind as you went about your daily struggles and your daily activities. What would it be like to be free? Oh, if I were just free. And in the, the context of all these years packed into one great event, there was going to be liberation. Now, like us, I don't think they fully realized or understood exactly what this liberation was going to look like. But as the death angel passed through the land of Egypt, they began to know what it sounded like because there was weeping and wailing and mourning and grief because all of the firstborn of all the Egyptians, of their cattle, of their families, from the highest place to the lowest place, were slaughtered and killed. The death angel was passing over. In the morning, when Pharaoh summoned Moses, and the people began to look outside their doors and windows, and they saw the devastation of the land, they realized the greatness and the power of this last plague that Almighty God had executed for their benefit. I wonder how many Israelites, because the, the record of the Israelites leaving Egypt was not one of a sorrow and gloom and regret. It was one of joy and dancing. And they had, the, the, uh, the Bible says that they had plundered the wealth of the Egyptians because the Egyptians were, were disposed. God gave them a, a kind mind toward them and they gave them a lot of their wealth. And they went out dancing and singing and, and Moses' song is, is recorded, Miriam's song is recorded. They began to feel the significance and the power of what God had done for them with the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the lamb without spot or blemish. And in this passage that we see in 1 Peter, we see that Jesus is that lamb without spot. As we sat around this table today, as we ate of that bread, we ate of the spiritual lamb that died for us without spot or without blemish. And that became a part of that. And the blood that, we, uh, that is symbolized by the juice that we partook of today was a symbol of the doorposts and the lentils and that precious blood of Jesus. And there's only one kind of blood that will work to redeem us, to save us, so that the death angel will pass over us. It's not the blood of an animal. It's not the blood of a great human being. It's not the blood of a powerful human being, but it's the precious blood of the humble, the obedient, the eternally living Son of God. We find that context in Matthew, the, uh, 
third chapter when Jesus goes down into the Jordan to be baptized and, and John says, oh no, 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 I need to be baptized by you because he recognized who Jesus was. And Jesus says, John, let us do so now for it is necessary for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so Peter consented. And then after he was baptized, Jesus came up out of the water and the heavens opened and a voice and the, the uh, uh, Spirit of God descended like a dove on Jesus and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now what does well pleased mean? And it doesn't mean that God was pleased with us. You know, when, when my brothers and sisters and I would do the dishes or do something that we were not asked to do, my mother was very pleased with us. But that's not even close to the context of what we're, we're talking about here. We're not talking about, about uh, pleasing someone in that sense. But because Jesus surrendered himself completely to be obedient to God, his blood became precious and God said, with him I am well pleased, saying that I will accept my son's blood because of his purity to cover the sins of the world. That will satisfy your debt at my cost. With him, I am well pleased. If we understand that in the context that God was just proud because Jesus was baptized, we miss the whole point. Because if God was just pleased because Jesus was baptized, we fall far short of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was chosen. And as also says in 1 Peter, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was chosen. But Jesus was fully human. He could have went awry, couldn't he? And the waters of baptism that he went through was the waters that surrendered his humanness to become perfectly obedient to his Father God. Thus, he was able to fulfill all righteousness for all of us because he was perfect and was without, without sin, a lamb that was spotless and pure. The precious blood of Jesus the second thing that we see is precious is the cornerstone. I don't know. Now, Tim would understand this pretty well because he's built a building or two in his lifetime. And he would understand how important it is to get the building started right. Now, unlike Tim, I've started a few construction projects myself. And inevitably, I do not have the ability to get anything square or right. So at some point in the project, something is not going to come out right. But in this context that Jesus talks about, it has to come out perfect and correct. So Jesus is the precious cornerstone upon which the church and the body of Christ is built. It's set correctly, it's set squarely, and it accomplishes the purpose upon which the whole idea of holiness and righteousness exists. And it also goes on to speak that we are also living stones. This, this is a living foundation of Jesus Christ. We are being molded into living stones to make this building complete. Now, when I lived at uh, Remington, Indiana, and I was growing up, and and uh, we lived in an old farmhouse. 
And like most, uh, a lot of farmhouses at that time, they dragged field stones out of the field and they made their foundations out of them. And you could see every one of the stones in the foundation of that house. And, but the extraordinary part of it was that in one corner was this giant rock. And I don't even know how they got it there. But that whole foundation was built off the structure and the strength of that one rock. And it was an amazing thing to look at. Of course, I've always admired anybody that can put stuff together like that and make it stay. Uh, it's just a great gift. But the strength and the structure of that cornerstone in that house was an amazing, amazing piece of work. And that whole house was, was solid and secure. And like I say, it was an old farmhouse when we lived there. But it was solid as a rock because that cornerstone was good. Jesus is far more than just a rock. And we, we kind of see this principle back in Matthew, I think it's the 13th or the 16th chapter, when Jesus came and asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter said, you are the Son of God. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you are Peter, Cephas, little rock, but upon this bedrock, this huge stone, this perfect stone, upon this rock, I will build my church. The precious cornerstone is that. If we build our lives, if we build our, our moral thinking, our, our righteous thinking, and our righteousness on this cornerstone, we are guaranteed to be heading in the right direction because in that cornerstone, we find the direction and the strength and the underpinning of all the challenges of life that we will face. Our greatest challenge in life in the midst of all of life that happens is to remain faithful and to demonstrate godliness in our lives. That's our greatest challenge. That's our greatest task. And the cornerstone that God has given to us, that precious cornerstone, is the very uh, underpinning that allows us to live that life. This next one is interesting, fellows, because it's found in chapter 3, and it's entitled Submission to Husbands. Now, all of us men, we jump up and down because we want our wives to be submissive to us, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when uh, they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now, that's a great commandment for you ladies. But I want to suggest this morning that it's not for the ladies. It is for them, but it is for all of us. Because who is the bride of Christ? The church. 
And the last time I checked, and if my eyes do not deceive me, in this room are more than ladies. There are more than just wives. There are men in this room. But this message applies also to us that we, a precious, uh, God is very pleased with a quiet and humble spirit. Quiet and humble does not mean uh, a shrinking back or a, a letting everything happen all around us and being passive about all that. That's not what that means. But a spirit that is submitted to God and is humble before him, recognizing him as the authority. Christ is the head of the church. We are his body. We become in in the new world that God is, when heaven and earth passes away, that God is creating, we become the bride of Christ. The church comes uh, comes down adorned as a bride. And that's who we are. So when he's talking about the submission of a quiet and gentle spirit and how precious it is to God, that is the the thought process, that is the demeanor of his body, the church. Certainly it applies to women. But it also applies to us because in the next section it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Now, in the book of Genesis and in the New Testament, it says this. It says, the two will become one flesh. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. We are all equal before God, but in equal parts, we make up the body of Christ. First Corinthians tells us all the different parts of the body, but we're all one. And we're to live and conduct ourselves within the body of Christ, and, if, and our expression outside of the church is a gentle and quiet spirit. If we commit ourselves to the precious blood of Jesus Christ and daily remind ourselves of the price that was paid for us. You know, it's interesting that in, in the first uh, few verses of First Peter, it says, again, that you were redeemed again. You were bought back again, which would tell me that there was a time before that we were in this right relationship that there was a time when we were right with God, and rightly so. And I can't hardly do any study without going back to the very first chapters of Genesis. There was a time, and I don't know how long, that Adam and Eve were in a right relationship with God, but something got fractured, and we know what that was. It was disobedience, it was idolatry, and now we are redeemed again. Do you think about that word, redeemed, what it means? to buy back. If I'm buying something back, I owned it before, right? In this context that Jesus redeemed us, he's buying us back because we already belong to him. Who would do that? Who would redeem like Jesus redeems? But he buys us back. He redeems us. 
to buy back, to free from distress or harm, overcome uh, detrimental and feudalistic, uh, to release from blame or debt, to free from consequence of sin, repair or restore, pay off a note or debt, to, to transfer ownership, to convert to something of value. Jesus fits the bill in all of those definitions. We belong to him. I forget the, the passage of Scripture. Help me if you can. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. I don't belong to me. Therefore, I don't get to act any way I want to act. I was bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If we apply, if we apply these three principles into our daily living, living and we act upon these principles, and we live according to these principles, I guarantee you the church is going to be a very attractive offering to the world of darkness. Because I believe, I believe that even the most wicked in the world are looking for something they can't find. And we talked about that before the last time I was here. But if the church is not attractive, if we have a, a, a combative spirit, if we don't hold fast to the precious blood of Christ, if we don't have our lives anchored in the firm foundation, who would want to be a part of it? Because there's enough of that stuff available in the world. Now, now this is to my shame, and I'm going to close with this. You know, they have on TV... Uh, what they call reality shows, which, by the way, are the farthest from reality in my world that I know of. But what is so blatantly obvious is the selfishness and self-centeredness of those people on that reality show. And what's frightening to me about that, have I dressed myself up so that I can mask that selfishness and self-centeredness in my life? And that is not a description of what Christ intended his church to be. He wants us to be image bearers of who he is, who communicate his mind and his heart in the world in which we live, whatever way he chooses to use us to do it. Will you pray with me? Father, again, I thank you for your holy word that is the bedrock, the bedrock of our life. And I thank you so much for offering that to us, imperfect, fumbling most of the time, but you've given it to us to make us secure in your arms. That our eternal prize, heaven itself, is secured by you through our faith in you. So we praise you and thank you this day in the name of your son Jesus.